You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. We're going to put the title of the message up tonight, Harvest of Words. And we're going to talk about increasing the productivity of heavenly words. In other words, no pun intended, the, the, the power of God's words are inherent in the words themselves in Scripture, but we do not always avail ourselves of what's there. So we're going to talk about how can you extract the most out of the words of God. And I want to begin by reading Mark chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, it says. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen. It starts in saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus was sharing in the gospel the, the parable of the sowing seed. In other words, the farmer goes out and throws the seed out, and we know that wherever we see seed in the Bible, it's code word for his word. So any seed in the Bible, every time you come across it, it is talking about, and it is a picture in a type of the word of God. In fact, you know, the Old Testament is kind of a school teacher of patterns and illustrations. It illustrates New Testament truths. And so you can take that principle, it's a hominic principle of, of, of the analogy of seed, and go back even through the Old Testament and consider what does the word tell you about seeds or the words of God in our life when you see the seeds or the grains that are in the Bible. But in this particular parable, we're not going to go through this parable because it's really what comes after that I want to focus on. But we see four places you are in heart when hearing heaven's words. And you may be thinking, well, you know, actually, I am in the parable of sower. Those are people hearing the word for the first time, or those are people that are not saved. And a lot of people apply it that way. But I want to say something interesting about this is that the word being given out is anyone that hears it. Years ago, I remember I did a message simply called the parable of the sower applied to the church. Because in the church house or in gatherings where we come together, there are many different levels, different perceptions or ideas, and we have to seriously consider about where our heart is when we even hear a message, like this message or the messages I preach. And there are four categories in that. We're just reviewing them before we go on because it's foundation. Along the path, we know the birds eat it when it falls there. Rocky places, uh, scorched by the sun because it does not have root. It does not have enough time to go deep, which means the word must have time to take root. Among thorns, we see seed falls choked out by the thorns, which means that the word has to take preeminence. You cannot share it with other schools of knowledge. It must sit above it. It must be the discerner of all other knowledge. And so a lot of people in these first three negative categories, if you would, along the path means that you're not paying much attention and the word does no entering at all. It just kind of bounces off your face. Sometimes I've seen that when I'm preaching. It looks like the words are just like, like I'm pelting them with seeds and they're not going in. Other people, and then Jesus says in this context, he who has ears to hear. People have ears sometimes, but the first path are people that they're oblivious. The only thing they're worried about is who's going to win the Super Bowl in the NFL or what's going on in another place or what's for dinner after the service. Or those, are, those are people on the path. Even though you're in the church, you're really not going to get much out of what's happening because you are distracted. So it requires focus. But the rocky places, scorched by the sun without roots, is, is someone who, yes, takes it, but they do not meditate enough or long enough for it to send its roots down into the heart. So you forget it. In fact, I could often take people that hear a message that I preach and next week ask them, oh, remember the message that I preached? And they have no clue. 
They were here. They sat there for an hour or more, but they may not even remember what was said. Well, maybe it's because they did not afterward take the time to allow that seed to germinate, split open, and start sending roots into their heart. That requires some action on our part, and that's the context of our message in a little while. The third place, among thorns, that means that, as I said, you receive knowledge from heaven, and you put it next to knowledge from earth or knowledge from self, and you let them be equal partners. But really, it is, it is unequally yoked. It is not the way it's supposed to be. The word of God should stand above. There are people who study the word and make it subject to psychoanalytical thought. So above the word in a higher position is their education, their understanding, maybe their IQ is high, so they're a very reasoning person. You have to be careful with that. You have to let God's word take the position of preeminence. It has to be in the highest place. Otherwise, it's like these thorns that grow up. That other knowledge, that contrary knowledge, the things that contradict what you read in the Bible, those things will choke the life out of what you're supposed to receive. And the, Jesus, when he taught, in fact, the Pharisees were good at providing thorns. They would say things contrary and dissuade the people from listening to his preachings. Even the Sermon on the Mount and other places, they were able to bring people away by their contrary words. So we be careful. But of course, on good soil produces a crop. That means that it multiplies itself. And so Jesus says, after he says it, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And this is a repeated phrase throughout the Bible. There's many places that Jesus says it, but it is always connected to a time that he is preaching. In this particular case, of course, he's, on, he's in the boat. He's out on the water. He has this group of people on the beach. They're all listening. And he's saying, you know what? What's going on right here? It's just like I'm throwing seed out there. And some of you guys are on the path, and some of you guys are in the rocks, some of you are in the thorns, but some of you have good soil. Now, if it were equal portions, then we'd know that that's 25% of us are good soil hearers. And I'm not saying that you will always be that. I know I, for one, at different times have different levels of distractions in my life. But if I go to a church service, I focus. I want to know that. And I want to talk a little bit about how to make sure you are getting the most out of heavenly words so there can be a harvest of words. So Jesus finishes this parable of the sower as a description of the effectiveness of heaven's words in the lives of people listening. And he goes on speaking about how to make it more effective. Uh, all of those at the place where Jesus spoke of the parable were following him. They were hungry, just like we are. Uh, it's, it's like the church today, as I'm saying. We are all hungry. We wouldn't be here if not. We want to hear it. And, and if you're not, well, then you're kind of wasting everybody's time. If you go to church just because I want to go to church so I can feel better, then you kind of you, you have the cart before the horse and things are out of order. You have to come knowing that you're here to be reshaped, remolded by the word of God to be touched by the presence of God to help you do that because he's the one that opens our minds to the scriptures. So we come together with that ideal and we find that different people in a given church meeting where God's word is being shared have different levels of response and therefore different levels of fruitfulness or success yielded out of those words. And the parable tells us about these levels, but it's with the expectation that we'll work on becoming better. How many of you want to be a better hearer of the word? I want, I want those big Dumbo ears. You know, I want giant ears. I want to be able to snatch up like the bat-eared fox. You ever see the bat-eared fox? Really cool animal. It has these massive ears. It can hear mosquitoes a mile away. You know, it's, it's a big, I want spiritual ears like that. And in this message, I want to share with you from the following scriptures in this chapter, seven things you have to do to increase the productivity of heaven's words in your life. So these are seven things that you need to do. What I need to do, what you need to do, what I have learned to do through the years. And so here in Mark chapter 4, verse 21, we begin with the first one. Number one, you have to bring it out into the open. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand, 
And just think about that practically. When they had a lamp, it was actually a fire on a lamp with fuel, which was oil, through a wick. And they lit it, and it burned. Now, that light source would be no different than these lights shining on me right now. It, would these lights be effective at all if we lock them in the bathroom? Or if I put them behind that curtain? No. They are in a position specifically to do what? To put light on me, to illuminate. That's their job. It's the same in this analogy, what he's saying about when the word comes into us, and he's explaining this, he says, look, you receive the word, it's the seed, it goes in, some path, rocks, thorns, but good soil. You have to understand, you have to have ears to hear. By the way, you know, thinking about this, when you have light, so he's immediately assuming we get that the lamp or the light is the word given. Because his word is life and light. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, it says, right? So he gives it to us, and he's expecting we understand that we do not put that, we do not hide it away. You think, well, how do I do that? But here says, for instead you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Now, you can read this openly and decide any secret you have, somebody's going to tell on you. But you have to read it in context. It is talking about scripture. It is talking about the preached word of God. So it means that whatever is hidden, encrypted, or embedded in scripture, its entire purpose is that it be disclosed to you. The entire purpose of these passages that we read and don't quite understand is so that the concealed truths in them will come out. That's why we call it revelation, because it means to uncover. If you uncover it, the word, you know, revelation, we call the book of revelation of John, was a, an opening, apocalypto, an opening so that you could see things that were going to happen in the future, and that's what was revealed. Well, in our life, we get revelation from the word, and that is exactly our objective. Our goal should always be to receive not just words and Bible, but to find what is concealed in it. So every time we read a passage, we have to think of it as a crossword puzzle. We have to think of it as a Rubik's Cube. We have to think of it as a jigsaw puzzle that we have to work on if we really want to maximize its potential. Otherwise, it will come and go, go in one ear and out the other. Now, of course, I believe that is so powerful, even if you are not really focusing on it, it's still having an effect. But how much more? You can unleash the authority and the power of his word when you do what Jesus is trying to teach us here. And the first thing is you have to bring it out in the open. And that's what he says. It's, it's meant to be brought out into the open. Well, you say, well, how do I do that? So whatever we conceal or hide in our hearts will be rendered fruitless, just like the light of a lamp. So if we do hide it inside, how would you do that? Well, when you go to church, you hear the message, and you think, hmm, you walk away, and you don't think about it anymore. You stick it in your heart. You may think about it. It may be in your heart, but how can you bring it out? How can you do that? Well, you can bring it out by speaking about it. You say, well, you know, we're all here. We, we hear. Um, uh, the question is, what do you do with the words you hear? And whatever we hear, so the number one reason why heaven's words become useless is that we tuck it away inside. We take it and we say, well, that's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that. His words were meant to be brought out into the open. Now, of course, Satan knows all about the power of the word. Remember the temptations of Christ. When he tempted Jesus and offered him things, Jesus retorted every time successfully with what? With scripture. He used the word in its power. Well, he was the word in the flesh, but he used it with such force and power the devil gave up, it says, and left and waited for a more opportune time. Really what he waited for was the permission of the father to take him. And that's what finally came after the death, burial, and resurrection of Lazarus. The father allowed. And you know, it was interesting. I saw this this morning. The father enabled the Pharisees to crucify Jesus when he released the word of prophecy through Caiaphas that said, what don't you understand about this? 
Don't you know that one man should die for the whole nation? And he said that prophesying. Well, it, he prophesied in the spirit, which meant the father spoke it. That declaration, it says right after that, and immediately they, they clandestinely assembled to find a way to kill Jesus. Until that time, they couldn't touch him. But that was the moment that God spoke it through Caiaphas, who didn't really, I don't think he knew what was happening, but he spoke it, and the anointing was released for Jesus to be killed. It was interesting. So, I mean, these are things, just another example. You could read that scripture a thousand times and maybe not see that. So that but it's, it's obvious when you hear it explained. That's, a, that's called a revelation. And I see that we go through scripture because I'm thinking about it. But really, my advantage over everyone else is I consistently and only keep my lamp on a lampstand. Say, so how do you do that? Look at me. I'm standing in front of a group of people with a microphone and speakers. I'm speaking words into this thing so that you can hear them. So I'm constantly bringing the word out. And you say, well, we can't all be preachers like you. We can't all teach. Actually, you can. Maybe not in a church behind a pulpit, but you have each other. You have friends. It's good to have believing friends. It's good to have that moment where you can sit together and discuss and talk, and I've, I've been doing a lot of thought about this because I have seen that Satan knows that the unfettered words of heaven are a destructive force against him. So if he can cause them to be locked up in your heart and you don't speak them, then he's at ease. But if you start speaking those words out, there will always be ramifications, repercussions that are negative because Satan will rise because he is fearful that you're gonna be free You'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. To be set free by the truth that you know, it has to come out. It has to be brought out, has to be spoken. And the enemy really works overtime to try to intimidate you, in fact, into not bringing the revelation of God out, not bringing it into the open where people can hear it. So this is your interpretations and ideas about a given passage of Scripture that, that if you really share it, the productivity in the kingdom will increase and you'll grow. So it's common for people to hide away from expressing that. And this morning I was talking to someone about why. Why is it, I found, for instance, in this culture, in this nation, it is not very common for people to share their opinion about the word. It's not very common for people to openly, easily pray also. And so, therefore, they are a bit more intimidated. Why? Because it actually works against people. It's a cultural byproduct, but we need to find a way, as Singaporeans also, all Asians, the people who are more timid maybe in a culture about expressivity, there's a time that you need to be outspoken. And this is it, with the Bible, with the Word of God, because it's the only way it's going to be free to really impact and change you. So the expression of revelations and opinions about heaven's words are not a test. And that's what I was thinking about today, you know, that sometimes if I ask you about what you think, let's say we go to America, right, because I have my own arrogant culture to deal with. So Americans are real straightforward and almost as bad as Australians, but we're not that bad. At least they beat us in their forwardness. You know, they are more gruff I appreciate it, I don't have a problem with it, but Americans are straightforward. If you've worked with them or known them, and of course you know me, you know I'm gonna speak my mind, and you may say, you know, you're very outspoken, and yes, I am, I do speak, and sometimes it gets me into trouble, but as a result, I can share things I feel, and I have opinions, and that's what I always warn people, you know, don't ask my opinion if you don't want it, because I'm going to tell you my opinion. If you elicit the opinion, I'm going to tell you my opinion, and it might be contrary to, the, to, to what you want. So you might get offended. No, that's just conversation. But a lot of people will hold back because they don't want to be offensive. They don't want to share. But really what's amazing is you have perceptions of these words even that we're reading that I can't even touch. And when I do finally force someone tell me what you think about this passage, and they speak it, I'm amazed at how much revelation is there. It's like, wow, that's really good. I didn't see it that way. Of course I didn't see it that way, because it's a living word, and it's alive different for you than it is for me. 
So what we do is we train ourselves sitting under pastors and teachers, and we hear that, but at the same time, we need to recognize some keys about bringing this out. So if you share your opinion about heaven's words, and sometimes I think, and my thought was, okay, here in Singapore, how do I help people walk past that? And one of the things that popped in my mind, and I think maybe it was God, was that here your culture is very built upon examinations and tests. The number one prayer request for anybody within a certain demographic of about 15 up until 20 is, pray for me, pastor, I have exams. Pray for me, pastor, that, that it, I get a good grade so that this happens. And, and sometimes I like the funny petition is when they ask me to pray for them after they've taken the exam. Like, you know, like it's going to, miraculous transformation is going to happen. No, you need to pray before you ever take the test while you're studying. That's when you need to pray. But long story short, people sometimes feel that if they're asked for their opinion, especially concerning the word of God, that it's a test. Because authorities, like teachers or educational people here, aren't always testing you. I, as a pastor, if you see me as an educator... You, I don't know, I'm, you're afraid you're going to fail the test. <laughs> There's no test. It's just an expression of what you see. It's your opinion. And you should not let fear of being tested stop you from just saying what you think and what you feel. And I, I find this to be true because often when someone here shares an opinion with me about Scripture, they have this long preamble about I, I don't want you to think that, uh, you know, I don't agree with you. I don't, they're making all these apologies before they ever even say what they Just spit it out, man. Just say what you think. I don't mind. If it's not what I think, maybe you are meant by God to bring correction to my flawed understanding. Because we are a body of Christ. And this part of the body cannot exist without you and your opinion. But when we share in an amalgam and talk, and here, then we understand, wow. So that first thing is it has to be brought out. Please bring out whatever revelations God gives you. Number two, you have to focus on it. How do we make it more productive? We focus on it. It says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. I like the corresponding passage in Luke says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. That is the manner in which you listen. How many of you know you can listen in different manners or different ways? It's true. So how do we listen to heaven's words? Actually, I see four ways. So how do we listen to heaven's words? Four things I thought about today as I was meditating on. So first, think about what it means to listen to heaven's words. We listen to them in different realms. Number one, we listen in our own life as we read the word of God. How many of you read the Bible? By a show of hands, I would be so happy if you read the Bible. Okay, good. I was waiting for George. I thought he was not reading his Bible. He didn't raise his hand. We read the Bible. Obviously, some read more than others. It's very possible you read the Bible more than I do. I, I doubt it, but it's possible. This happens to be my living. This is what I do, my only purpose on earth. But we all have access to it. So anyway, we listen in our own life. We read the Bible. That is the seed being thrown at us. In that moment. So each and every day we should be reading and meditating on God's words. Because you can read the Bible on the path. Or you can read the Bible amongst the rocks. Or you can read the Bible in the thorns. That's my point. And I'll give you an example of reading the Bible on the path. All right, I only have five minutes. I'm going to miss the bus. And then go through the reading real quick and shut the Bible and run off. You didn't have time. Just rushed it. You're trying to get through this quota. Well, that's like reading it on the path. You're not going to get much out of that. It's better than nothing. Please don't say, well, then I'm not even going to read the Bible anymore. No, please, whatever, read it. But there is a better way to do it. But you, you hear this. Uh, there's no certain one plan, but I say plan. Everybody plan how to read your Bible in some way. If it's too much and you think, gosh, I can't read that much, well, just read a chapter a day. Uh, read a verse a day if you have to, whatever it takes, and just think about it, hold it, meditate on it, and everyone will have to find what works best for his or her life and heart. However, we all must find a plan. My goodness, what is that aroma? That's like, that's a cruel smell. That is, Caleb, that, I think she's going to beat what we fixed last week. <laughs> 
Somebody I won't mention who said that. See, that's why we eat before we come to church, because this might happen. <laughs> or you can eat after it, whatever, but that smells good. Anyway, number two. We listen by extension to the interpretations of heart inspired by the Spirit in our hearts and minds. In other words, the first one we saw was you just read the Bible. But here, I know it's a little complicated, but by extension, we listen while reading the Word because ideas come into our head. That's pure revelation. Your personal revelation. I'm not talking about you being in church. You read the Bible and you have that, hmm, moment. How many of you read the Bible and there's that moment where you're like, hmm, I never saw that before. Something catches your eye. Gosh, if that happens, carpe diem, you know, seize the day. Take that moment because that's God teaching you something from your inside. That's the revelation of the Spirit of God. And we do that. So meaning that we read the scriptures and if we're not rushing away to take our medicine, because sometimes that's, you know, we read the Bible like it's a medicine, and it is, but we read it that way like we have to get this done almost like it's punitive or some form of punishment. It's discipline, but it's a positive discipline. We change our, our attitude about it. If we do, we allow for that moment. Well, this is how we learn to listen more carefully. Where it says, listen carefully, pay carefully how you listen. Pay attention to how you listen. Well, if you, if you listen carefully, you bring focus, then you'll understand and allow for that moment. And it is a matter of focus. And I come up with this little thing concerning focus. You see, it spells focus when you come down. If you want to focus, you have to force your observation, which will cause understanding and success. That if you don't force it. This is the thing. It is something you must do. The Bible will not do it for you. You have to listen carefully. You have to have ears to hear. You have to develop it. You have to go after it. And as you observe, you have to force close scrutiny of it. And that causes the understanding to come out that maybe you didn't have before. So focus on it. Number three. We listen to teaching and preaching in the church. Well, that's right now. You're doing that right now. You are number three in this moment. When we come into church service, we have to sit here and listen. And, and that actually kind of, we have an obligation when we do come to set the stage of listening. We discern in that moment or decide in that moment how we're going to listen by remembering the purpose of our gathering. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should Weigh carefully what is said. Now, everybody reads this and thinks it's a prophet. But if you study prophemi carefully and look at it in context, it's speaking of revelatory word. Not necessarily a, thus saith the Lord God is speaking. That, you know, don't think that way. If I have the anointing on me and God shows me something, especially in the moment when I'm preaching, sometimes you'll, say me, you'll see me get excited and say, you know, it's like this. Well, I, it's not in my notes when that happens. That is prophecy. But it is integrated in the word. So anyway, two or three prophets or preachers should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. So this is Paul's instructions to the church. Weigh carefully. Hmm. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, well, the first speaker should stop. Well, you say, Pastor, that means we can stop you in the middle of your message? Absolutely, you can stop me in the middle of my message. If you have a revelation, well, of course, this is Singapore. It's very unlikely you'll ever do that. In America, they will. In the African-American churches, the women will get up and start preaching back at the pastor. Amen, brother. You know, that's right. You know, my auntie and my... They start telling a story in the middle of the message, and the pastor's trying to preach. They will speak back because they get an idea and a revelation. And, of course, it, it could get out of order. And that's why it says two or three kind of keeps some order here. And if a revelation someone's sitting down, the first speaker should stop and let them share it. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So that means in an amalgam of souls in the church, we all will be empowered by God. 
we all will speak. That happened in the Old Testament, in the camp of Moses. Everybody was prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord would fall on people, fell on Saul. And he, is Saul also among the prophets? In other words, that when God's people come together, if they did it in an Old Testament paradigm, how much more in the New Testament when we come together in the glory of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit that is manifesting more freely these days, wow, then we all will have that opportunity as you're hearing. And that's what we see here. Number four, we listen by extension to the interpretations of heart inspired by the Spirit in our hearts and minds while we hear the preaching. The first time was we listen by extension to interpretations when we read the Bible. But now, while I'm preaching to you, you will hear something I say and your mind, directed by the Spirit, will go off on a tangent and you will absolutely lose track of what I'm preaching. How many of you ever had that happen? Because you start getting revelation. You start thinking about someone else. In other words, you go off in another realm. That's okay. Because what we're wanting is for you to connect to the word. And I'm very guilty of that. I have, I have a lot of trouble concentrating on a given message with a pastor. Because when I show up and he's preaching, he'll lay something out. And I'll say, hmm. And that's when you see me, like if maybe one of you shares here and I'm sitting right there. You'll see me suddenly grab my phone or something. Because I need to write a note down. Because while you're speaking... Your revelation as a seed planted in me just caused a germination and a growth of a message that was spawned out of your message. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an addict of messages. So I need, I'm addicted to messages. I need to produce them all the time because I preach so much. So I don't let that moment slip away. I don't mean to be rude to you. That's why if you suddenly look distracted, I assume you're doing what I do. God's speaking something, and you want to write that note down because that's how we listen. And whenever we're in a service, we hear these people preach, the pastor, uh, maybe teach a revelation, an idea, is derived from his or her observations of the scripture, and they have it that they speak, but it can engender something in you, bring something to life. So these are all ways that we can focus and receive that. We have to focus on it. And then when that does happen, follow that, do that, listen to that. Otherwise, just listen, absorb, get as much as you can out of it as you grow little by little. Number three, you have to measure it. He continued. By the way, this is a linear passage. These are not random scriptures. This is all in the same context. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. What do you mean the measure I use? Well, measurements clearly are ways of judging quality and quantity, right? A, a, a kilo of something or a meter long, a square meter of material. We measure quantities. We measure quality with values assigned to them. Gold by weight also has a financial equal to it. It is a standard, in fact, for most currencies. Not that we really have the gold to back up the fake money we're producing often, but it is a standard. So these are measurements. A cup of sugar or this many grams of flour. Uh, this is the way, this is what he's saying. The measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So now we see this, this idea that if you are not focusing and you are not forcing yourself to observe, causing the understanding and success, then, and you just kind of let it glaze by you, it, you are actually may even decrease in your knowledge. Because the measure that you, what he's talking, remember, the measure is how you listen. If your measurement is big, of your focus, then according to that measure, God will give back to you revelation. It's a simple thing. And if it is, then you will be given even more. So reciprocity applies. So your focus, your intensity in hearing on many levels will cause you to receive even more. God recognizes it and sees it. 
And so we do this. What, what do you do to measure the quantity and quality of God's word um, being taken in? Well, if you consider God's words or spiritual food, think of it that way. You know, we count calories. This many calories, we go on a diet, we want to lose weight. There's different ways to do it. And, but, and if we don't eat enough calories, what happens? We get sick, we are malnourished. And not many people are malnourished, but you can be malnourished in different realms if you have an unbalanced diet also. It is exactly the same in God's word. There are a lot of believers in Christ. Yes, they have the rights of the covenant, but they are scripturally malnourished. And as a result, their immune system is deficient. They end up with a spiritual immune, immune deficiency that when the enemy comes and ideas come, they... They are more susceptible simply because they're malnourished. You say, well, then how do I become more nourished? You eat. Same thing. If you're getting skinny and you're faint and your blood sugar is very low and you, and you, you just you eat. I've seen people crash and you can st stick a, a, a jelly bean in their mouth and bring them back to life. I've, I've done it with relatives. Eat just a little sugar. So that's all it takes. You just need to put word in. When your spirit is feeling that, you feel down. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your trust in God. His word is alive. Just take, just take it. I, well, I know I do that. Sometimes I feel like grubby spiritually and I feel kind of empty. I immediately find a Bible and open it up. I don't even look for a pat. I just randomly open and start reading anything and it never fails to serve me. It's food. It's alive. And... Usually I'm more systematic, but there are times if it's rough, I just, sometimes I feel kind of dirty or like I'm wrestling things in my mind. I have an app in my phone. I might be in the middle of a train ride or a taxi. I just pull my, my olive tree Bible app out and I just read randomly scriptures and just keep reading until I feel better. And sure enough, I feel better because usually, according to what we're seeing, I get a revelation. And I think, oh wow, I need, to, that can be a good message. So that's how we measure it. How do we multiply the effectiveness of heaven's words? These are questions that we're asking. How do you, how do you multiply it then? If more is given to you, well, that once again, it's according to the measure. We do this by taking what we receive and making it plain to others around us. A multiplication. If the word is a seed and it's planted in you, and the goal is what? A harvest of 30, 60, and 100 times. How can you do that? It's really simple. I share a revelation with you. You take that revelation and you find someone and tell them about it. That's one. Find someone else and tell them. That's two. Share it at a Bible study. That's 15. You share it in a big church. It could be 100. It could be 50. You can get 5,000 at one time if you're in the right church. I've preached. That's the largest congregations I've been in, or five or 6,000 preaching. And you feel it coming out of you when you do that. Because that is how much of the multiplication is taking place. So you find anybody, anybody to share it with. If you look at it like the parable of the talents, just share it with five people. The talent you gave me, Lord, now I have five talents. And the Lord will be pleased and reward you accordingly. But what does it say about the one talent? Well, I hid it. And then what happened? You know, depart from me. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to have any part in my kingdom. That's where we don't want to run the risk of that. We always want to find someone. And we do this, we receive and making it plain to the others around. Number four, still talking about this word that is seed. You have to scatter it. And you say, okay, you already said we need to take it out. We need to tell people. But the scattering is a different idea. He also said this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Once again, we're just continuing in the passage. So to whom are we speaking his words? That's a good question. So make sure that you have a diversified audience. What if you have a friend that could care less about your revelations and doesn't want to hear you talk about it and they're not even a believer? Well, you need to find another audience. And this is what scattering means. The seeds go everywhere, not just in one place. You say, well, you want me to stand out on a street corner and just yell to all the people? You can. Here in Singapore, you'll end up getting arrested, but go right ahead. Or at least they'll tell you, stop doing that. 
But in any case, you can certainly do it in private audiences. You can do it in conversations. I do it all the time. I run into people constantly. And I share the revelations that I have because I have, I'm, I'm wanting to multiply it. And so make sure that you have a diversified audience. And he's scattering his seeds. Some fell among the path. And the birds ate it up, it said in that passage. So imagine if you only have opportunities to have seed on a path to people. And those people are always on the path. Usually unbelieving people who don't really care. And you're trying and trying. It would get quite frustrating, wouldn't it? So you're not a farmer anymore. You're a bird keeper. And you're feeding birds. You're like the old man in the park, you know, feeding the pigeons. The pigeons are never going to give you anything back. But there is fruit. Some of those seeds might bounce off in the grass, and then suddenly sunflowers are growing up in the park. That's something. At least you get a pretty flower out of it. But this is careful about the way that you diversify and how you scatter. So as you take your place as the source of words, not just the recipient, these words, you, you begin to emerge or come out into a place where you will find different levels of hearers. Believe me, there's somebody that will find you fascinating out there. There's somebody, and when you find them, it's so fun. It is. When you find someone that really wants to hear what you have to say, you come alive. And, and I do that. That's why, why do you think I'm preaching so much all the time? You hear me talk, I do four or five services on a Sunday, I'm here preaching. Because I'm addicted, it's like heroin. Feels so good. There might be a group of people, and it may not be everybody really keen to hear what I'm saying, but, but if there's one, it's enough for me. If one person smiles and thinks, I like this, my life has purpose and I'm alive and multiplies. So if you consider that even 25% of the seeds sown only 25 went on the good ground, if it is equal portions on each of those categories. Well, that's encouraging in light of what seems to be a waste of energy on your part. Because otherwise you grow weary in well-doing, like the Bible says. And you won't want to do it. And most believers end up there. They don't because they tried and it failed. And you need to keep trying. And we're not bird feeders, so make sure that you get the right people to talk to. And when you find the right ones, they do want to hear. So I like going down to Little India and the outreach and sit down with random people at tables and start talking about my story, my testimony. And they may be Hindus, they may be Muslims, but they want to hear it. And I start to, I have some interesting things in my testimony. It kind of catches their attention, tell them that I was a drug dealer. That, oh, and, you know, that opens the ears. And I start talking about my past and I tell it very, very theatrically, and about my experiences with Christ, and they want to hear it. Those are his words, my revelations going out. Number five, we just have a couple more here. You do not have to understand the process. In case right now you're thinking, Stephen, this message is like, whoop, I don't get this, I don't understand what you're talking about. It's all right, you don't need to. You just, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, who? The farmer. The farmer can be totally oblivious to the process. All he has to do is do it. He has to understand it. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So years ago, I tried to understand the heart of man and the way that each one perceives the word of God, but I, I never really got it. And I inadvertently judged them according to my standards. I thought people should hear the Bible the way I hear it, and that therefore they should grasp this or understand that. And that doesn't always work that way. And uh, we do not have to understand the process of how the supernatural work of God's amazing word really works. It's not, it's not required. It is not necessary for you to totally comprehend the process. You just need to do the proclamation. Just let it out. And it might be frustrating at times, but we can do it if we do not grow weary. Why? Because number six, you're going to have to patiently let it grow. All by itself, the soil produces grain. Now, this is interesting. The soil. What is the soil? 
Well, I have, I have a little diagram here to explain all the elements. It says the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. So to understand this, we see, we assign the interpretive roles. Soil is a soul. Everybody you share with and throw a seed out to, they are soil. They might be under rocks, they might be buried in thorns, they might be next to the road or under the road. There are different barriers and obstacles, but if the ground is open, the soul is open, then that's where you make entrance. Grain, these seeds, what is that? It's the words of heaven. So the soil produces grain, and it talks about how. First, the stalk, it says. Well, the stalk is the little green ping, the little sprout that comes out. The stalk begins first. Well, that's a new believer. And we don't expect a new believer, someone just grown to produce any fruit. The disciples of Jesus, as we've seen, 14 chapters doing nothing but watching the Jesus show. And just half the Gospels, they're just watching. Till finally, he says, you give them something to eat, which we studied last week about feeding the stalk, the head. Once it's head, now that, that becomes, when you see the head, you know, if I just leave this head long enough, it has the potential inside of it of producing uh, a full kernel or many kernels. So I have to just make sure and take care of it. That is the dedicated disciple. To get a dedicated disciple is someone that you see already, they have the wherewithal, the ability, and the understanding. They may not be actually functioning in that, but they're getting there. And then finally, the kernel. And that's the kingdom worker in the field. Because they're a seed to be planted then. And then we see this process. Number seven, we finish with this one. You have to enjoy the harvest. I, I do. I love the harvest. I enjoy it. It says, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So there's no happier moment for a farmer than the time of harvest. It's actually very difficult during the time of harvest. My educational system in the United States of America formally gave three months a year of vacation to the students, June, July, and August, because that was the harvest. And we were an agrarian society years ago. Now there's massive combines and machines, but then it was everybody had to work in the harvest to survive. Everybody grew their own food, so the educational system evolved that way. And it was a time of labor, but it was bringing in the sheaves. It was joyous. It was life within that moment because it was a delicate matter. If a, a premature freeze would come or blight or locusts or whatever, it, it, when you finally got to the harvest, you were so relieved because that just had to be preserved. You take it and preserve it and it could last until the next harvest, especially grains like the analogy says here. And it was like a birth of a child. And if you sow seed into people, and you know the three dimensions of, of ministry of word is some sow, some water, and some harvest. So it's, if you wait long enough, you're going to see that we can enjoy the fruit of the moment of harvest when we see the effect of the words we share in the way people respond. And this is the most thrilling time when a soul comes to the knowledge of Christ. I love that moment when you can see the lights turn on. I met a young woman, I was talking to her randomly out, out uh, in a food court and um, she, was, she looked particularly athletic and uh, she was Indian and she just kept looking over at me like she was, I don't know whether she was interested in me and what, but she kind of glanced over a few times so I ended up started talking to her, something we brought, I forgot how I breached the separation but then I, she told me about her life and going to Perth, this, that, and the other, and see, it's now it's time to plant. I was so excited because it's somebody I can share. And I did, and I did. God gave me words of knowledge for her right there in the food court. Spirit of the Lord touched her. She starts weeping, weeping. She's, she's like, what is this? And she wants to understand, and I'm telling her, telling her that Jesus Christ, you know, said, I believe this is your moment in eternity that God sent me to bring this to you. And she shook her head yes, and she cried, and she, she's only here for a little while. But her path intersected my path. And if we are farmers, we're always looking for that. And if we're ready, 
that moment can come and where someone else that doesn't have this mentality may not, I don't want to mess with this person that's looking at me, just that's creepy, why are they looking at me? And you look away, but that's actually God trying to do something. And if we yield to it in the moment, anything can happen. It's amazing. And it's an exciting moment. You can enjoy the harvest. And it's the most thrilling moment to come. The knowledge of Christ comes to someone. Because you know at that moment, their names are getting written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's powerful. Harvest of words. Seven things you have to do to increase the productivity of heaven's words in your life. These are the seven things. You have to, to publish it. That is, bring it out in the open. You have to focus on it. That means it's up to you. By the way, these are things you do. These are things you do. You, you plant seeds, but when seeds are coming to you, uh, you have to focus. You decide. You have to measure it. You are in control of the measurement. That's why it says the measure that you meet out, not that is met for you or that is measured for you, but that you measure the capacity. You dictate the weight, the length, the height, and the depth of word existing in your life. And I say go for the gold. You have to scatter it. Make sure that you diversify your audience. Uh, you do not have to understand the process. You do, it does not matter. I've known a lot of farmers, and I've met farmers who cannot read. They cannot write. They don't know the difference from their left and their right hand. I mean, I've met, these are like in villages in India, and, and they have huge harvests. <laughs> they, just, they just know, stick it in the ground. That's it, just stick it in the ground and keep the cows from tearing it out of there and, you know, beat, knock off the worms. And that's all, they just know, just do these few things. They cannot break down the process of a germination of a seed to you and talk about cellular or biological development of the plants or they can't teach it in a university. They have no idea, they're oblivious to that. <laughs> but it does not change their ability to have a harvest. And so anybody, anybody, some of the greatest evangelists I ever met are as dumb as a doorknob. I mean, they, they are no intellect whatsoever. I've met some really, I mean, no, you know when you know who I'm talking about, you know, and I would never disclose names. But I've met some great evangelists. And on the outside, they seem like, wow. And when you meet them, you're like, how are they even doing this? Because you don't need to understand it. You just need to be obedient. You just need to take the word in your heart and let it out and do those things that we saw. Publish it, focus on it, measure it, scatter it. You don't need to understand, but you do need to patiently let it grow. Remember the principle of a farmer. A farmer may be uh, in that place where he is um, planting the seeds and he has an expectation of a harvest and it takes its time coming. You can be an impatient farmer, but most farmers understand you plant the seeds, you're not there in the morning screaming at the field because you don't have a harvest. You know it's going to take time. Amen?